These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so mm -hmm. they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. Sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. People just want to know that they're, they just want to know that they're safe to talk and share these things. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to the Open Journal podcast. I hope you're well, hope things are good for you. I hope you're having a generally positive time at the moment. Thank you so much for joining me once again for our conversations. And today I'm delighted to say we are joined by a new guest. Elspeth is with us today and we're going to be talking through, well, quite a lot of different things. It was quite hard to work out kind of a summary of, of this episode. I will say that this is part one of a two-part conversation. So in the second episode, which is a bit more clearly defined in my head. Um, so in two weeks' time, that episode, we're going to focus a little bit more around health. We're going to be talking a little bit about World Health Day coming up on the 7th of April, but also um, Elspeth's experience with endometriosis, how fitness, activity, boxing um, in particular can help develop our well-being, our sense of self, uh, and confidence as well. So as I said, in this episode, we do talk around uh, quite a few different topics. We talk about general well-being, Elspeth's experience with different careers, job paths, um, to some extent where we place value and spend our time, and how some of our, our life experiences and relationships kind of affect us moving forward, and how we balance off how we speak about those things, um, either in person or online. And I'm sure there's quite a few other things as part of our conversation as well. I really, really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do as well. I think there's, yeah, there's a lot of amazing things in our conversation, both in this episode and in the next one. Hopefully you enjoy this episode and you maybe want to find out more. As always, links to how to find out more about Elspeth are at the end of our discussion. Equally, if you think you might be interested in coming on the podcast yourself and being a guest in the future, you can find information about being a guest on the website, which is openjournalbc.com. And fingers crossed that you do enjoy this episode, along with the other episodes that are available. If you are able to, please do leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help other people discover the podcast and the conversations and signposting that we have here as part of the episodes. Thank you so much for continuing to support these conversations and the podcast. It really means a lot and I'm hugely privileged to be able to host and share these conversations. So once again, a big thank you to Elspeth for coming on, for sharing her, her time, her lived experience and her expertise with us and for both of the episodes that you're going to be able to listen to, both this one and the next one in two weeks time. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Here's episode one.
elsewhere it's really nice to be sat down and to have the chance to to have a conversation with you i've already made the error of thinking we've sat down before um so it's nice to finally have this opportunity to to sit and have a chat and hear a little bit about you but first how has your week been and how are things for you at the moment well first things first thank you so much for having me and i also feel the same i feel like we've already had had a full podcast together already so <laughs> this is great to probably catch up uh my week has been bonkers to say the least i am on day 10 of recovery from laparoscopy surgery which was to remove endometriosis i have also been to a fundraiser event for four girls rowing the atlantic soon um i can't even think what else off the top of my head that i've been doing but it has been ridiculous from to say the least <laughs> it sounds like you have been very busy yes. uh, <laughs> i think the only reason that i kind of hold back from that is feeling like you're involved with so many different things it feels like on a regular basis so i'm i'm finding it difficult to gauge like is that a busy <laughs> week for you um how does it feel kind of having that time when actually it's quite a quite a focused time when you're having time for yourself around surgery but also still involved in those other things like you mentioned the fundraising and other projects that you're involved with so this has actually ironically as you said this is probably a quiet week for me <laughs> um i am what i'd like to call a recovering people pleaser so i have in the past been susceptible to burnout from doing many many things because being brought up in the 90s and well probably many other decades of other people's lives i'll probably relate to this but we were all kind of taught that our self-worth was based on what we did as opposed to just who we were mm. um so i think i'm learning now how to take that time back for me without feeling like i'm failing as a human being or letting people down if i'm not here there and everywhere and constantly showing that i'm worthy of just being alive by constantly giving it's such a i i hadn't really thought of it in terms of like that when we were born or when we were raised aspect but i think mm. you're right of, there's so much uh value i guess placed on on that busyness yes like the purpose isn't always or it feels quite modern to go oh look here are the list of jobs that need to be done and like once they're done that's it like chill like you've done the things that you need to do rather than okay i have to be busy for all of this period of time and then if i'm not busy i'm being lazy Yes, yeah, I uh, and even though I was never categorically one of those kids that was labelled as lazy as such, I think we all soaked that up, really, didn't we? But it, it was never really a thing that you just sat and did nothing. It was always, even if you were at home, it was kind of, oh, well, if you're bored, you can do this, or you can do this. We weren't really taught how to access and harness boredom. And then phones came along and the internet came along and I don't think anyone's been bored since. Yeah, it's almost <laughs> like, well, you've gone from needing to feel or be busy nine to five to you need to be busy all the time. Like yeah. you just, you finish <laughs> doing like your paid work and you move into a, a passion project or volunteering or a campaign work in the evening. And then on the weekend, you you do some other stuff that needs to be done. It's like, okay, when's the time to actually like stop and chill and maybe enjoy your life? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think uh, Gen Z 
or Gen Z, however you're supposed to say it, I think that the newest generations coming up are really learning how to do that and how to relax and how to switch off because they're moving massively away from this whole hustle culture that we were Mm. sort of forced into. And they're very hot on getting enough sleep and actually having hobbies and social time, whereas we were kind of taught to monetize everything that we did. And my lifetime has been a real battle between being good at hobbies and trying not to then make money out of them. Mm. <laughs> because then you end up with no hobbies and loads of businesses. And that's really quite stressful. <laughs> and it's having that that time as well is it to to just enjoy your hobby or your passion or your interest and not feel like yeah everything needs to be turned into a business like if you're able to do that and that works for you that's great but does that then stop becoming a thing for you and actually you're doing it for other people whether you're employed to do it or or you're self-employed you're still taking on clients or doing work for other people and that's how you're generating funds so bingo (laughs) it's it's really tricky and and I mean like we mentioned already you're involved with a lot of different projects and a lot Mm -hmm. of different activities is is that something you feel that works for you or how do you feel about being spread across quite so many different areas I've had to learn how to make sure that I am tapping into myself and checking with myself whether I want to be doing these things and I sort of regularly sort of sit with my thoughts and think right am I doing this project because it's for me am I doing it because I feel it's going to benefit the people that I'm doing it for as well as myself as well as making me feel good and obviously not every project is going to be just for you or to make you feel good but I need to make sure that I'm not doing it solely to people please and losing myself because I think I spent a long period of my life doing that and feeling constantly on edge constantly anxious and it's yeah it's been a real interesting journey learning how to take a step back and I guess that's where it would bring us to the conversation of boundaries where we again generationally we weren't taught those boundaries Mm. weren't a thing everything from finishing all the food on your plate to teach you how to ignore your hunger boundaries or your full boundaries Mm. to like I said to monetizing everything that we did we were never taught boundaries even our parents were always adamant they needed to know everything we were doing and everything about us and friends and relationships we were really told that we were supposed to sacrifice everything about ourselves for everybody and I think yeah it's been a real interesting I've learned a lot from the newer generation because I've moved into a new career recently where I'm working with much younger people and they've taught me so much self-worth. The irony that I'm learning more from them than the generation above us. <laughs> it is it is interesting. I think when you're in that workplace or work environment where you have kind of regular contact with people of different ages, like older or younger, and seeing how just kind of culturally and environmentally often I think people come from such different approaches because of those lived experiences and those insights and um, I mean like you I think I probably lean towards younger people generally do things better however (laughs) um, like everyone's different and has kind of grown up in that different environment and hopefully it's a case of um, especially when we're talking about kind of areas of mental health and well-being and being considerate to yourself and your own self-care each generation is kind of doing a little bit more to make it 
possible for the next generation to maybe be more comfortable with these conversations to be more comfortable accessing services or or criticizing aspects of of healthcare that are maybe not as good as they should be so sometimes it, it takes that journey doesn't it but then there's also a disconnect when we have those conversations in understanding that sometimes yeah and it's been it's interesting you say about how it's almost like the path is starting to be paved for future generations to be able to speak a bit more freely and challenge certain things in a more safe way and there's I guess two things you can take from that one for me I see it that it is kind of incredible that we have that opportunity to pave the way safely for people but then the other is you've also got that generational trauma and I feel like a lot of the generation before us the Gen X is it Gen X was it Boomer and then Gen X and then Millennial something has happened <laughs> yeah yeah I'm trying is X before Millennial yes X I is think before, it, yeah. yeah because then Gen Z comes after us yes and then there's Gen- there's Generation Alpha coming through and that's they are now isn't it fascinating me yeah. yes so there, I think the eldest alphas will be about 10 now. Um, but going back to that sort of uh, understanding of the safety of how people can talk and that generational trauma, even 10 years ago when I started talking about mental health more publicly and openly and quite rawly, people were really quick to tell me to be quiet. They mm. were so afraid of it. They did not want that to be spoken out loud because it meant that they had to address their own issues. Mm. And it's only with hindsight that I realise that that's where they were coming from. They didn't actually want me to be quiet. They were afraid. Mm. And we act very much as mirrors for other people. And so I feel like because we as millennials on a generalization we're quite good now at talking about things we're getting there we're not as good as gen Z, but we act like a mirror for gen Z who look back at us and go oh okay they make it safe however your boomers and your our parents generation look at us and they see fear and they go oh my god they're making me open up mm. and so i've i've found looking and sort of studying that understanding of mental health and how we approach it has helped me gain a lot of understanding as to why my childhood was the way it was and to um, almost accept, to almost let go of some of the resentment I had towards it because mm. we we look at the world with our own eyes and think, what would I do? I wouldn't have done that for my children or I would have done that for my children, but they didn't have the tools that we did. It's, tr- it's so tricky. I think I've had um, similar conversations with, kind of adults within my within my family as well where it's trying to get across that mindset of like uh, this is how I've been affected or this is possibly how I've been affected and how I view or have lived certain things and that isn't to blame you it's to talk about this is the environment that we lived in and and that process that happened and I think it's really tricky because you're talking to the people that were part of that journey and that's where I think having those wider conversations sometimes when we talk about conversations in the workplace or with friends or with acquaintances that are on the edge of that I feel like that's when it sometimes opens up your your mind and your kind of articulation to those conversations because some of those worries or concerns or impacts of having that conversation are lessened because they aren't part of your story or your journey earlier on Absolutely. And I think that's the thing. Sometimes I know I personally was desperate when I was younger to be heard by the people who I felt hurt me. And when I say that, I mean, 
that generational difference in upbringing and looking after their children I mean I speak about it um, fairly openly um, my dad passed away 10 years ago and I have had no contact with my mother or siblings since that and in those 10 years I've gone through all kinds of different grief from grieving a parent that's still alive to grieving one that has died to losing my what I thought was a life that I would live forever mm. and I so desperately wanted those people to understand how they had hurt me because I was a very emotional child and I was a mm. very I still am a very emotional person and I was so I was full of so much shame because exactly what I said with that mirror kind of thing mm. I I provoked fear in so many adults because I was so unafraid to feel and that generation were taught not to feel and they were taught to shove it all down and sweep it under the rug and stiff up a lip and mm. that keep calm and carry on attitude and whilst that might have worked when people were sort of coming off the back of the war and they were in survival mode it wasn't needed when we were suddenly in the 80s and 90s and there was a lot of trauma that needed to be dealt with and mm. um when I say about generational trauma, I think what people don't understand with it is that, um, and I, you've probably already heard about this, but generational trauma is actually passed down through our DNA. Okay. Oh, so, I've not heard of it. Have you, have you, heard, you haven't heard of this? No. So this blows my mind and I'll have to dig out some studies and send them over to you because like, I'd like to caveat, I am quite clearly not a scientist, <laughs> 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 just in case anyone was wondering. Um, so... When we talk about generational trauma, often people think it's the trauma that another generation has caused us. When actually what it means is that, say, for example, we... So let me see if I can put this in the easiest way possible. When a baby is in the womb, mm -hmm. right, we think about we think about how we worry about the mother and how the baby is affected by how the mother's stress levels and things mm -hmm. like that. If you have a woman, like if you have a female baby, so if you have a uh, female baby with, still in the womb, mm -hmm. every woman is born with all of their eggs, right? Mm -hmm. And within that egg is obviously then another. So you've got a mum and then a baby inside the mum and that baby has eggs in it. So technically you have three generations in one body there. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this stuff honestly blew my mind when I started learning about it. And with what happens with trauma is trauma alters your DNA. So it can alter your brain patterns. It can alter everything that's happening in your chemistry of your body and how it communicates with itself through its nervous system. So essentially what you're doing is passing that same nervous system through the generations via the body. Mm. And that's why it's so important to me to make sure that I am going through therapy and I'm doing as much healing as I can and breaking cycles and and changing this generational curse so that when I come to having to, um, when I come to having my own children, hopefully, um, then I will have reduced what they subconsciously carry. Mm. So I right now and you and everybody else will be carrying like unconscious trauma that is just built into our DNA. So you know how we say about things like getting deja vu and stuff like that. Mm. We don't know, or we might get triggered by something that we just cannot understand why we're triggered. We could quite literally be being triggered by the trauma of our ancestors. That's so interesting to um, 
I can't think of the, like physicalize yeah. is clearly not a word, <laughs> but like to physicalize the 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 mentality yes. of what someone has experienced and how that is passed on, not just through nurture but in nature as well. Yeah. I think yeah, that is really really interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I find looking objectively at how the body relates to the brain and trauma in particular and mental health has really helped me gain such a deeper understanding of not only myself, but allowed myself to look objectively at mental health. So it becomes less about like what we were saying before about that blame game and more about, ah, now I understand why that person behaved that way. Or we can sit and understand that there may have been unconscious triggers that they had that they didn't even know about that they've given to me that I also don't know about and we're all reacting to something we don't know about yeah yeah that's really <laughs> sorry I think I've just melted your mind spinning. for a Tuesday <laughs> yeah it's just well because it sits on top of the 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 lived experience that you're going to have living with parents or carers or the adults that are around you at that time um, or the older younger people that are around you um, and to think that it's not just that lived experience but it's also kind of inside of you is a really interesting uh, and informative thing I think to mm. to consider I, I think, think sorry carry on I was just thinking when we're talking about like this experience that that different generations go through as well um, one of the things that I've heard or had conversations around more recently is also the idea of uh like for parents and grandparents that may have grown up in this world that like you talked about have had um negative experiences in the past there's war there's family history that would have happened there but also I think generally in the UK we had kind of a, a forward moving society and environment for people to to prosper in whether that was through kind of the the opportunities that existed mm -hmm. um through property growth and, and a range of other areas and then people that are um i think it was people that are 30 35 or younger um in the uk now have always had some element of kind of turbulence in the world that they've lived in yeah and the idea that there isn't necessarily like a positive oh we're moving in the right direction it's kind of like it's from this crisis to this worry to this worry to this <laughs> thing and it's like oh okay that's not quite what I feel like my childhood was but it's definitely what I feel like my kind of late adolescence and adulthood has been like there's always been something going on that's kind of been a negative external environment um, and that can lead to I think a very different approach to how we look at things and maybe how we prioritize things like our own health or how we're kind of valuing things because of that world that we're living in we're not making assumptions that oh my health is going to be fine or this is going to be paid for or we'll be able to buy a house here or mm -hmm. this will be okay um it's just a very different environment i think that we live in as well and how we kind of process our lives maybe as part of that as well I agree. I think also we are the first generation to prioritize ourselves. And I don't mean that we're selfish. I mean, I read something really interesting the other day that said that a lot of 
millennials, elder millennials in particular, their childhoods were more difficult because a lot of our parents' generation were told exactly what you just said there, that you would have this trajectory Mm. and you would grow up and you would meet somebody and you'd get married and you'd have a baby, probably quite young, have multiple kids, and it would really be the woman that stays at home with the child and you had this very sort of nuclear family unit Mm. and everything was kind of just sort of it was there for you it was on paper it was it was that was what you did and in a lot of that parents there were a lot of mothers and and fathers who didn't necessarily want children but that was not an option Hmm. because it you wouldn't have been deemed a success if you didn't have that and I guess that that links back to what we were saying about what you do for others being of value Hmm. and so I think that's where there is now a lot of um, estrangement happening and a lot of resentment because our parents were taught that whole like their their parents our grandparents they sacrificed this for us and you should be grateful and blah 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 so they've then continued to channel this energy through and our generation who have got so much more access to information and like you said we've got this perma crisis of just all the time making us all have always sort of almost everlasting reassessments of what we want whether we're happy what we want to do we I don't know if it's a luxury I think our parents' generation didn't have much of a choice in a lot of things and they just did it. So there's a lot of resentment there because they weren't taught how to have their own autonomy. Whereas we are really pushing back at everything and that's almost giving us then opposing problems because like you said, we've got too much going on and we've got too much opportunity <laughs> if there is such a thing. I, so, yeah, I think it's 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 interesting to see how our conversation has flowed because I'm now thinking of kind of the experience that many people might be having where we've kind of moved for the most part per past kind of that um remote working and lockdowns that we've had over kind of that two-ish year um period through the pandemic and although that's still affecting some people a lot of people are now into a routine with work that is kind of more sort of stabilized in, in what they're doing mm. and I think there is that judgment of people that are like oh okay at first it was fine for you to stay at home we didn't need to we didn't need to or necessarily want to rush people back to the office but now we're starting to get to the stage where okay this is not now a a period of time this is actually what the roles are becoming and we've now got a lot of people that are you know remote working or kind of hybrid working and it's now causing those longer term issues of okay now we've got we've got office space actually we're never going to need to feel or how do mm. how do we manage the fact that there's a cafe in this building that now has only a third <laughs> of the people coming in because they they come in once or twice a week rather than every day um and i think that is a real struggle for people that even those that were the most kind of approachable and relaxed and um accommodating a, a, a throughout the pandemic and and kind of in this period sort of after are now at a stage where they're trying to work out okay but but how does this business and how does our society function when only a third or a half of people mm. are are kind of working or living in the way that we expect them to? And and it's so interesting that last bit you said in the way that we expect them to, mm. because nobody has any expectations anymore. And I don't even mean, I don't even mean that in a good way. I mean nobody knows what they're doing. Like <laughs> everybody's very tired and. 
there's been so many cultural shifts over and it's like what you said previous generations would have that trajectory maybe they'd have one big world crisis in in one lifetime Mm. and we've had all these different changes including that change of work environment and that is a really interesting one for you to bring up because take me and my partner for example he we used to have a dynamic of I was well I've always been self-employed he's always been employed he would be out working in the office and I was a photographer and I well technically still am but that's another story (laughs) Um, a photographer and an illustrator so I would go off and do my shoots every now and then but the majority of the time I would be either illustrating or editing or doing something at home admin based so I could be at home a lot of the time Hmm. and in hindsight I used to think that that would be helpful for me to be at home all the time because um, for full transparency, I have been diagnosed with multiple mental health issues over the years from borderline personality disorder to complex PTSD, OCD, um, anxiety and depression. I always kind of assume that everyone knows they'll come with them. Mm. <laughs> Should probably forget the assumptions there. But um, I used to think that working from home and being on my own was best for me because I couldn't cope working for other people. And it's been really interesting to see the shift of mental health with people who used to work in offices being thrown into the world of working from home because I think a lot of people romanticized it before and then the reality of it is it's actually very lonely and you have to work very hard to get yourself out of the house and doing things and seeing people and not just fall into this sort of hole where you're working and hiding and you forget about the rest of the world and it's yeah it's been an interesting one and it actually it's the reason it's one of the reasons why I went into the fitness industry I trained as a PT over lockdown and I am I I can hand on heart say that my mental health has improved wildly from being able to work around other people again and not be afraid of doing so and on the flip side, my partner worked for the last two years from home and he's just got a new job where he's going to be in the office three days a week. And he is itching to get back into the office because he also needs to be around people. But I think there is that beautiful balance now of, of like I said, he's in three days. So we're not we're not expected anymore to be doing that five day working week in these office spaces. There's suddenly this conversation around we need more of human experience and empathy and understanding and emotion and movement within the workplace because actually people work better when they're happy. What a shock. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny the things you learn and you think, well, why didn't we know that? Um... <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God, happiness makes for productivity. Oh my goodness. I think, <laughs> like you say, I think it's it's having those choices now, isn't it? I mean, who... I don't know who would have asked in the past to to say, oh, this job that I have that is five days in the office. Can I just like, can I work from home for two of those? Oh my God, you'd get and fired. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think not only would you not have asked, even if you'd have asked, that wouldn't have been accepted. So it is really interesting how, um, although a very kind of intense period, it was it's a very short period of time when you think of how long people have been working in that environment to go, yeah. oh, over a two-year period, we've completely shifted or we are shifting how people will work in a, a large number of roles. Like there are obviously a lot that are still remaining kind of in-person or or regularly delivering services. But I think for, for 
a large number of people that are are reworking yeah what does this mean and um, I think it, sorry carry on no, I was also going to mention you because you you picked up on kind of the the self-employed side like that feels like that's another area that's become I don't know if it's more possible now but definitely more desired by people I think I think it's both of those things but also um it's not necessarily more accessible but I think I there is that shift in self-belief in that we are allowed to find our own autonomy and we are allowed to experiment with things and also the multiple streams of income thing is what I think has changed the self-employed sort of landscape because if we look back to even when would it have been about 11 years ago I remember having a conversation with my dad about what I should do after university and I did a photography degree mm-hmm. and I'd sort of bounced around university I, universities I dropped out of one because I was just super depressed and in hindsight I probably should have been diagnosed with something super, sooner not something super that's not <laughs> the word I need <laughs> um and I remember having a conversation with him saying oh, I don't know what I should do after I graduate because I, I was already in therapy I think and I'd been diagnosed with anxiety but he didn't know about that because we did not tell each other things um and I remember him just saying, oh, well, you'll go self-employed, won't you? But he was self-employed. And so I think that's oh. where my sort of green flag to go yeah. self-employed came from. And that was, again, it, there's so much emphasis that parents don't realise they bring. Yeah. And that's where that generational thing comes in. Because now the millennial parents are coming through and saying to their Gen Z kids, like, you can do this. You can actually yeah. try these things. And it doesn't matter if you fuck up and fail. It's fine. Yeah. And whereas we were very much encouraged to, even then I still went to university, I went and got a photography degree before I went self-employed. I really didn't need that. Mm. But I mean, that's just what you did. You, you got your degree under your belt and then you can go and do what you want. So yeah, it's been a funny shift with the self-employment thing. And I think the pandemic was a brilliant one for my mindset because it stopped me from trying to force photography to be my only income. And I had spent probably about 10, no, about 15 years hammering away at this. And I was doing well, but not well enough, not as well as I wanted to do. Mm. And I was repeatedly feeling like a failure and I had such a lacking mindset and there was no growth there. Everything was, I was really in a hole with it. And then the pandemic swooped in and went, you can't photograph anyone anymore and you can't leave the house. And I went, oh, thank God. And I didn't realise how much I needed permission mm. all the time. And when you, you're parentless from the age of 23, you don't have anybody giving you permission. So you're just sort of wildly bouncing around, desperate for validation and somebody to say something. So when a quite literal world crisis is the thing that gave me permission, it felt bittersweet, but it opened the door for me to say, right, what do I want here? And then I added... I, 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 I shuffled things around and I made my illustration business the one that was at the forefront. I moved the photography backwards and then I got this uh, PT qualification under my belt. And the intention was always to get rid of the photography and make the fitness thing the main thing. Mm. But what has happened since? And I was thinking about it this morning because I've got a shoot in a couple of weeks. I've got three podcasts this week. I've got some illustrations that I'm doing for Valentine's Day, but then I'm planning a couple of boxing events and then I'm going to be back to coaching properly after my operation recovery in a few weeks. And I was thinking individually, if I had just one of these jobs, I would not be earning what I need to earn to live off. But also 
I'm allowed to do all three now. This stream of in this multiple streams mm. of income thing is is not only good for me financially, but also mentally, because everything is always fresh and new. And it's always fun. So I always put my all into it because I'm not just chipping away at this thing I'm bored of and hate and resent. I can get some mental space, some mental clarity and move to the next project and then come back to something. And again, it kind of mimics that shift that we were told where there was that trajectory. There was that linear one path. Now we're allowed to just do whatever we want. And it's terrifying and great. I think yeah it's just it's so interesting to hear you speak through and I think hopefully it's a a real eye-opener maybe for some people as well or, or that permission like you said to hear yes. someone <laughs> to hear someone speaking so often I think we rely on someone else prompting us to do the thing we already maybe know we want to do or that we can do um and really kind of open up open up that door I remember I think we were I think I think I was in secondary school and I remember we had a like a guest speaker come in. I can't, I honestly can't remember what they were meant to be there to talk to us about. <laughs> but it, within what they said, um, I think it was to go and do a particular career or, or pathway. But within what they said, they they said your your parents and your grandparents will have had a job for like their whole life. They said they might have changed who they were employed by once or twice, but they will have had a job or a career, and they will have done that for. 30 to 50 years they'll have done the same job and they said but it'll be slightly different for you a, a, a good number of you will probably do things like project work where you'll go and do a job for three years or five years or 10 years and then you'll you'll move on and you'll do something else you won't just be employed by a different person your job will be a different job and I remember at that stage when you're you're not really thinking too much about jobs but you're aware of like different careers thinking mm. oh look because my dad had worked at, at that point I'd only known my dad to work in a, a nursery with with plants and flowers and my mum had been a hairdresser for all of that time and they'd had the same job they'd even been I think my mum was self-employed and my dad had worked at the same company for like 30 or 40 years and they were like one job or one career people so to hear just that little insight from again no idea where they were actually from <laughs> But that thing really made a big difference to me. And I think, and I hope when you're speaking, not just here, but in the other places that you speak as well, people seeing you engage with different fields, not just different roles, but different fields and um, still being you and bringing yourself to those spaces, I think is a really encouraging thing for, for people to see and hopefully an aspirational thing for them to see as well as they consider um, what they might want to do now or kind of be moving towards as well yeah thank you that's such a nice thing to hear because I think the ethos I've always sort of brought to my general life well in particular since my dad passed away and the estrangement was that I want to be the person that I needed when I was younger and for me I know what I needed to have validation in and I needed to like I said I needed that permission and even if it was from, like you said, anybody in a position of authority who I felt I respected and trusted, if I heard them speaking the way that you've just described that person spoke for you, mm. I, I needed that. So if I can bring that to other people, even if it's someone older than me, same age, younger, whatever it is, whoever needs that permission for someone to just say, yes, you can do the thing. It doesn't matter if it fucks up. Am I allowed to swear? I should probably yeah. clarify that about 50 <laughs> minutes ago. 
Um, I, I am also not the same person I was when I found photography at 16 years old. And there is this glorification of, I used to get this whole, oh, you're so lucky, you know what you want to do. It's all right for you. You know what you want to do. And people love banding that word lucky around as well. They, it, that's a whole, that's another episode. We'll mm. save that for a different one. <laughs> but um, what I found, and again, I've sort of used my life as almost this case study where I've then looked at how people respond to certain things. And there's this real placing of value on finding what we want to do when we're young. Like we're, we just know it and we're, we know what we're doing and we, we're those people that have just got it. You're one of those people that doesn't have to worry. You've got everything mapped out for you and your life's going to be fine. But actually there's this weird pressure that you're supposed to then do exceptionally well at it and do it for the rest of your life. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do other stuff. I want to go on a paddleboard and I want to get in a boxing ring and I want to also draw dogs. Like <laughs> there's so many more things on smaller scales and larger scales, whether they're for personal or professional things. I want to have such a well-rounded, not wild life but just something that I feel I'm gonna look back on and not think oh I wasted that and I think I can quite confidently say that what I do and everything that I have done in my life is nothing I will regret even the fuck-ups and the failures and the testing out business ideas and changing and chopping careers everything has led me to now where I am and that's where I think people need to focus is not necessarily on what you're doing but where it leads you to and that every conversation will open up a door that could lead to another conversation to another conversation that eventually gets you to where you want to be and from having these multiple streams of income it's made me place less value on my identity of that profession and it's brought me more back to myself because I have to reground myself as who I am before I then go off and take up the position of the other version of myself in the other role. Whereas before I would introduce myself as I'm Elspeth, I am a photographer. And then people would be like, oh, wow, blah, blah. But now I'm I'm just Elspeth. I don't need to be caveat, here's my identity. Mm. I'm just me. And I have value in just being me. I, and that's where learning to pull back like we were talking at the beginning mm. that's where that's starting to come in now because before my identity was a photographer and my identity was a mental health advocate and my mental and all of these things and now I'm starting to learn that my identity is literally just me and there's so, so much power in that <laughs> that's amazing though and, and thank you for sharing that I think it's it's great to hear that and hopefully like I say it's it's a really encouraging thing for people to to consider that kind of self-investment and self-worth and the the different areas or aspects that that make up our lives and and having space for for certain conversations as well mm. I know we we've talked through quite a few different things here and we are we're going to take a, a slight pause because we're going to be back with a another part to this conversation where we focus in a little bit more on some of the health aspects and the work you're doing around boxing and we'll maybe touch on some of the stuff that we've we've mentioned in this episode as well but if people are listening just to this first episode almost this part one um are there places that people can go to to find out a little bit more about yourself or some of the things that we've mentioned in this part of the conversation 
absolutely i've kept it nice and simple i'm on instagram and tiktok at elspeth fit so it's just e-l-s-p-e-t-h and then fit f-i-t as in fitness so nice and simple same handle for tiktok and instagram amazing and thank you so much for sharing everything you have so far and i look forward to talking to you in like 30 seconds for our <laughs> next for the next part of our chat thank you These are not real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. Sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. People just want to know that this, they just want to know that they're safe to talk and share these things. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it.